0: Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. I want to tell you a story that I'm not advocating for. Let me set out that disclaimer Um, I'm going to tell a story about gambling, and I know gambling can be a vice, (laughs) okay. But when I was in middle school, my dad took me to the racetrack. He took me to bet on the ponies, (laughs) my brother and I. And so, uh, here's what we did. He lived about an hour away from from the nearest track, and and that day, what you would do is the morning of, you would go to the 7-Eleven or the, 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 the little uh, convenience store. And you'd buy the race guide for that day. And in that race guide, it would give you all the details of all the races that would be ran at the track. It would tell you what horses were running in what race. It would tell you um, a little bit about each horse, like this horse is a fast starter. This horse was trained by this person. This jockey will be riding this horse. Um, this one is a quick closer. And we started a system. I remember sitting in my dad's bed, me and my, and my brother, and we would evaluate, giving points on if, oh, they're, they're, they're quick out of the gate. Well, that's worth two points, you know. Oh, Pat Day's going to be riding that horse. Well, that's, def- that's worth three points there. Well, they won their last race, another three points. And we would add up all the points and find out which horse had the most points. And then if they were a long shot, that's where you put your money. Because maybe we could strike it. Well, just so you know, um, we were told we could bet $2 a race, okay? So actually, going to the track was cheaper than going to the bowling alley in Charlottesville. That's a whole other story. (laughs) If you've ever been to the bowling alley in Charlottesville, you know what I'm talking about. But it was the last race. And we had some money left. And we decided that this, our research was going to pay off on this last race and there was a horse that stood above the rest as we did our system and the horse's name was Taxpayer's Folly. (laughs) That should have told us. Taxpayer's Folly. Well, we had $10 left each, and we said, let's do this. Let's pull our money together, and let's bet $10 across the board on taxpayers' folly to win, place, and show. And if you don't know anything about horse racing, that makes no sense to you. But here's what I knew as a middle schooler. If taxpayers' folly comes through for us, we are going to be rich. And what middle schooler doesn't want that? I remember my, my dad, we would bought the ticket, we're waiting, we're, we're looking at the paddock, and he's like, come on, taxpayers' folly, mama needs a new pair of shoes. And we were just talking trash about tax, we're going we're gonna to bring home the big, big money. Then the taxpayers' folly came out into the paddock, and we realized something that wasn't in the guide. And what we realized is, is that uh, taxpayers' folly was a gray horse. And he just looked old compared to all the other horses. Like, you know, it, when you're watching the Olympics this summer, you're not going to say for the 100-meter dash. I want the guy with the gray hair, you know? Like, and so I'm like, uh-oh, that was probably a sign. This is not necessarily going to go our way. And, and so they walked him to the gates. All the horses were in the gate. And the bell went off. And I don't know what happened, but it looked like taxpayer's folly was shot out of a cannon, folks. I mean, ta- he, he was just way ahead of everybody else. He was out 10, 15 links ahead of everybody. We've got our program rolled up. We're hitting each other. Taxpayers folly. you know. We're going crazy. I could see the dollar signs. I mean, we're going to get rich off of this, right? And then around the back corner, I, I'm not sure what happened. I don't know if he stubbed a hoof around the corner or, or what exactly happened, but I do know this. By the end of the race, taxpayers' folly was so far in last place that I think the other horses didn't even have their saddle on anymore when it crossed the finish line. It was horrific. We took our programs, we threw them down, sorry, yeah, they had people, you know, anyways, we weren't littering, littering, you know, but anyways, we were so disgusted, our ticket that was worthless, taxpayers' folly had let us down. It came, it started so good and it ended so poorly. So poorly. You know, it's funny when you're at a horse race and you lose a few bucks and you're like, okay, I guess we're not going to Applebee's on the way home. But there's nothing funny about it when you're talking about someone's walk with God. Where they shot out of the cannon and they were doing so well and then what happened? See, Chi Alpha has never been about you having four great years. Alpha has a vision statement. At the end of the vision statement, it says this, building lifelong followers of Jesus. It's always been about the long game. It's not about how you come out of the gate. It's how you finish the race. Are you, do you close well? Isaiah has a picture. I, okay, so since the pandemic, I've had a crush on trees. Let me just say that had a tree crush. I like me a good oak. You know what I'm saying? Good oak tree. I I don't know. I don't know. I just, maybe I slowed down and and I smelled the oaks. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You guys are going to miss the corny jokes. You know that. but... But I have, and I love a good oak tree. The Bible talks about this, that we would be oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor, Isaiah 61. And here's the point An oak tree, what I love about an oak tree is it's strong, it's stable, it's substantial. And here's the other thing, it lives for centuries. And it's been through harsh things, it's been through storms, it's been through heat waves, and it just stands. It's built to last. I want to read the last four verses of the book of Ephesians. And I love these verses because Paul says, you're built to last. He wants you to last. As you go home for the summer, first years, he wants you to last and thrive. Fourth years, as you graduate and go into a new season, he wants you to last and thrive. And so let's read these last four verses together. It says this Tychus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know him. Or I'm sorry, may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. And then he says this, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the last verse of this book that we've been studying all semester. Here's the very last verse. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ Christ. With an undying love. This book that it's talked about the love of God for you. That surpasses understanding. That surpasses knowledge. The very last words is undying love. That you and I would have an undying love for Jesus. My hope for each of you is that you would be defined by an undying love for Jesus. i want to talk just a couple minutes about how to fan your heart into flame to have an undying love for Jesus. Because it's never been about just coming out of the gate strong, but it's about closing well. So how do we have an undying love for Jesus? Well, number one, Emma Campbell just nailed it. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit will foster an undying love for, for Jesus. But I will say this. what I want to tell you some things you can do to cast your sail in the direction where the Spirit wants to push you. First of all, I find it very interesting that in the book of Ephesians, Paul ends with an undying love. Because let me take you on a little... A longitudinal study of the of the church in Ephesus for just four minutes. Okay, here's what happens: We're introduced to the church in Acts 19, and Paul is there for two years, and great things happen in the church. People are coming to Christ. People are coming to uh, to to know Him, and then something happened. These seven guys by the name Seven Sons of Skeva. What a name, right? My friend in college said, I'm, if I ever have a band, I'm going to call it the Seven Sons of Sceva. Yeah, anyways. Sounds like a good band name. <laughs> Until you hear the story. They're trying to... They're not followers of Jesus. But they're trying to cast demons out of, of demoniacs. See, Ephesus was known as a place with that was full of the occult. And so they're trying to cast these demons out in the name of Jesus, but they're not followers of Jesus. So what happens is the demon turns on them, and it says this demon beats down the seven dudes, and they run out, stripped naked out into the street. Well, that gets the attention of Ephesus, okay? When you hear, did you hear about the seven sons of (laughs) Sceva? You know, and here's what happens. It says this. Go ahead and go to the next slide. It says this, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. In other words, they stopped playing games. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's a lot. And the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You say, How much is 50,000 drachmas? A drachma was the average salary of a laborer for one day. That means that bonfire was worth 160 years of salary. If the average person makes $40,000 today, that would be a $6.4 million bonfire. They didn't take their scrolls from their old life of sin and put them on eBay. They didn't take them to the pawn shop and say, I'm done with these now. They burned those bad boys. And the reason why I tell you this story is because I want you to get a sense of how hot they were burning for Jesus. They meant business. They were repenting of their sin. Literally, they're burning hot. You guys got it. Okay, all right. Then Paul writes to them and he says, I want you to love Jesus with an undying love. In other words, that love that you had when I was with you, when we had the $6.4 million bonfire, that same passion for Jesus. I want you to have that same love for Jesus now. Have an undying love for Jesus. And then fast forward 20 years in the book of Revelation. Jesus has some words for this same church. What does he say? He commends them. For fighting off false doctrine. He commends them for suffering for the faith. But then he says this. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen and repent. And do the things that you did at first. The point is this: this church in Ephesus has started burning so hot. their faith, their love for Jesus, their passion for Jesus had become domesticated, and they, their affection was now replaced with mere activity. So how do we fan the flame of our hearts? with an affection that will not grow cold, but fan it into flame with an undying love for Jesus, like Paul says. Well, my answer's not going to surprise you. There's three things that we can do to cast our sail in the direction of the Spirit. Number one is this, a real devotional life. There's a book that I read many years ago called You Are What You Love. And it's written by a professor of philosophy at Calvin College called James, James K.A. Smith. Jamie Smith, he's known as. And what he, his premise is this, is that we are not fundamentally people of intellect. We are not fundamentally thinkers. We are fundamentally lovers. In other words, what, the way you live isn't just defined by what you think, it's by what you love. And let me tell you how I know this, because I eat french fries. I know french fries are not good for me. Anybody out there with me? Anybody else eat french fries? You know. How dare you? How dare you eat french fries? You know they're not good for you. I mean, let's think about a french fry. French fry is a potato that's cut up, put in grease to open up the pores of that potato. And once those pores are open, it sucks in the grease like a sponge. And once it reaches its saturation point, I'm getting ready to preach here, Pat, right? And once it, once it reaches its saturation point, it starts to, to, to get crispy, to lock in that grease. And you know it's not healthy for you, and I know it's not healthy, but it's so good. With some salt and ketchup, I love me some french fries. And I just demonstrated that we aren't just thinking people, we are lovers, And here's what Jamie says in his book. He says this, not only are we people who are lovers, but we develop our loves by how we live. In other words, you can form your desires. Not only can you form your desires, you will crave what you consume. And I I can prove it to you. I have two pictures for you. Coffee. Anybody drink coffee out there? Anybody crave coffee? You wake up. And you crave coffee. Okay, I do not crave coffee. You know why I don't crave coffee? Because I don't drink coffee. I was delivered. No, anyways. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a coffee drinker. So therefore, I don't crave coffee. Because I don't consume it. Those who crave it, it's because you consume it. You have fostered a desire for coffee. And now you consume it. How many people just sometimes want to get out your phone and look at Instagram? Anybody? Here's what I know. The reason why you want to get out your phone and look at Instagram is because yesterday you looked at Instagram. If you look at Instagram for an hour today, it will not lessen your desire tomorrow. It will increase your desire tomorrow. Am I right? Pretty soon, you, you're, like, you're like, oh, I can't. Oh, yeah, I'm going to. Okay. Because you crave what you consume. I'm not here to give you a philosophy lesson. I'm here to talk about a real devotional life, and so let me connect the dots. Your phone is creating desires in you that are disordered. This culture is creating desires in you that are disordered, creating desires in me that are disordered. So we need something that will reorder our desires and form the right desires in our lives. And the Bible tells us That man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, we are to consume his word. And when we do that, we will start to have desires for his kingdom. Desires to live for his glory. Desires for him to be supreme. And those desires will shape our lives. You need a real devotional life. Meaning time in God's word. Time in prayer, time in worship. Let me tell you, do not underestimate the power of worship to form your desires. I believe music is a gift from God that does the, one of the hardest things in the world to cause things to go from here to here. That's the longest 12 inches in the world. Would you agree? And when you set God's truth to music, and you saturate your life in worship, what happens is the desires are formed in your heart, and that transforms your life. And so, let me implore you as you graduate, be people who are rooted in a real devotional life, so the desires of your heart doesn't start looking like everyone else you work with. If you are a first year, as you go home over the summer, second years, third years, root yourself in a real devotional life so your desires will continue to be for his kingdom. Because here's what I know. If not, your desires will start to look a lot like the Instagrammable lives that you're consuming. So let me implore you to have a real devotional life. Secondly, How do we live with an undying love and fan that into flame? Well, EJ, actually, I was going to quote him, but he said it. Real community. In fact, go ahead. Next, He he even took my verse. But Paul says, I'm sending um, Tychicus to you that he may encourage you. Paul is saying the, the way that you're going to have an undying love is through community. Here's what I know. I've lived in Charlottesville for 21 years now. You cannot go on a bike ride and not climb hills in Charlottesville. Anybody here with me? Like, it is impossible to go on a run, bike ride. Because my oldest son and I used to take trips to 7-Eleven. And there was this massive hill in between our house and 7-Eleven. But those Slurpees were worth it. And so what we would do is we'd ride our bikes. And you guys know what I'm talking about. When I mean, because we don't have like these really fancy bikes where you could like, you know, push a button and go up a hill or whatever. I don't know. We, we got just like, you know, $100 bikes, like mine's from Toys R Us, you know? And so, we, I would say this as we would ride our bikes up the hill, fight through the pain, fight through the pain, fight through, and we would get to the top of the hill. Paul said this in, in 2 Timothy 2.22 that, that EJ quoted, That you need people alongside you who will pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with you out of a pure heart. You need people who are going to speak to you, fight through the pain, stay faithful. You can do it. They're going to encourage you. Jesus is worth it. Your identity's in Jesus. Your identity's not in this job. You're going to need that as you go out. And if you're going to have an undying love, here's what I know. You will start to burn at the temperature of those around you. You'll start to look a lot like those around you and I hope that you'll have some people and maybe there are people here that you're going to stay and when you get to a church, throw yourself into that church. So you can follow Jesus with an undying love because you will face hills and you'll need somebody and they'll need you to say, fight through the pain. Jesus is worth it. He's glorious. And then finally, real responsibility. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul tells us about the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Here's what I know about real responsibility. There's something about real responsibility that keeps us fresh with Jesus. You can only gaze into your own belly button so long. Your life can only be about you so long until your vitality will start to fail. But when you start to be about His kingdom, when you start to take on real responsibility and know that He has plans and purposes for you right where you're at, wherever you end up, whatever your summer looks like, find your real responsibility. The good works He's prepared in advance for you to do. And I will tell you this, it will keep you fresh. Because you'll have to depend upon Him. You'll have to seek Him. You'll see Him doing things in you. You'll see Him doing things through you. And there's something about real responsibility that will keep us fresh. With an undying love for Jesus. And if you want to go stale and apathetic, I'll tell you how to do that. Just be all about you. And your faith will start to get stale. So how? How? Do we live with an undying love? How do you keep from drifting? You stay anchored. You stay anchored. My hope is is this. That when you come back from the summer, second years, third years, first years, that you're burning hotter than you do right now. Fourth years, when I see you at the at a Chi Alpha reunion my hope is is that you I'm like wow look at the undying love for Jesus look at the Lord's doing in their lives I'll never forget the Sunday afternoon when my two youngest kids learned to ride their bike it was a big moment for the Bulette household I was now three for three. That's right, baby. Three for three. They all could ride their bike. Two of them on one day. I mean, I mean that's, that's, a, that's a big success. And here's what the day was. They'd get on their bike, and I'd hold the back of their chair, and I'd run beside them. And here's what I would say. Not fight through the pain. I'd say this. Keep your feet on the pedals and eyes on the road. Feet on the pedals, eyes on the road. And we'd be running, feet on the pedal, and I'd let go. Feet on the pedal, eyes on the road. Feet on the pedal, eyes on the road. There, there Why did I say that? Because I knew this. If they took their eyes off of the road and started to look around, it would be the beginning of them heading off the road and in the ditch. But if they would just keep their eyes ahead of them, keep their eyes fixed ahead of them, and then keep their feet pedaling, keep your feet on the pedals and eyes on the road, that's when they rode successfully. Can I encourage you as you launch out, as you go into your summer? Let me implore you keep your eyes on Jesus and keep pedaling. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. It's fool's gold. The glory is in him. Have a real devotional life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep peddling. Keep, keep walking in that the purposes that he's planned in advance for you to do and then have somebody running beside you saying, keep your feet on the pedal and eyes on the road. And make sure, whether it's through group me's, Zoom calls, in your local church this summer, and as you graduate, throw yourselves into a local church. Whatever it takes, don't do it alone. And when we do these things, I am confident because of the Spirit's power at work in you that you can follow Jesus with an undying love. May you keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus. JB, keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus. Eva, keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus. Shelby, keep your feet on your pedals and your eyes on Jesus. Jay and Lindsay, keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus. Wes, keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus. He is for you. 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 you. He is for you. In this summer, first years, keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus. And second years and third years, this summer, keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus. And Nia and Jada and Christy and Joe, keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus. is worthy for the benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And as you keep your feet on the pedals and your eyes on Jesus, may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Let's follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, com.